So, so in all of this, we have an increase in subjectivity, and layer upon layer, we find ourselves now with what is essentially uh, the governance of nearly zero inhibiting factor for abortion anywhere in the country. Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide podcast, where if the shoe fits, you wear it. And if the truth hurts, you bear it. I am Justin Gruber. And I am Jesse Gruber. And today we hope you will seize the, the faith. Hey, man. How you doing today? Pretty good. And you? Uh, I'm tired. Me too. All right. We probably just should have said tired instead of pretty good. Pretty good. And tired. And tired. <laughs> Welcome to episode 48 of the Carpe Fide podcast. Tonight, we're going to try to inform you. We're going to walk through some really tedious and exciting, exciting legal history. <laughs> Are those things mutually exclusive? I don't know. It's quite possible. But By the way, talk- I'm, I'm losing my voice, um, so I apologize. No one said. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, okay. Uh, so we're going to talk about, um, if, you're, if you're unaware, if you're, you may be unaware, I hope not. I hope you're praying. Um, but the uh, the what is, what is being called in shorthand the Dobbs case went before the Supreme Court uh, last week, and uh, they'll be deliberating that. I don't think we'll actually find anything about about as far as like actual rulings until June when they yeah. come out with all their their actual rulings for all the cases they've heard during this session of the Supreme Court. Um, but the Dobbs case is super important. The Dobbs case is very important. It, Very important indeed. Yes, I believe the full title is the Do- is is Dobbs v. Uh, Jackson Women's Health, Mississippi. Uh, it's a it's a court a court case. Well, it's, it's an appeal to a court case gone up to the Supreme Court that involves Mississippi's abortion law um, that essentially has well, it's effectively cut down on the locations that can perform abortion while simultaneously bringing the uh, abortion limit. Uh, to 15 weeks. Anything after 15 weeks is is illegal to get an abortion. Uh, and so what this case is going to force the Supreme Court to do is to have to kind of deal with um, Roe v. Wade, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, uh, and and kind of make some, some clarifications in essence. Um, obviously, uh, every Christian in, in the United States and across the world should be praying that uh, it's it's a simple overturning of Roe v. Wade, which will at least send abortion back to the states. Uh, but we'll get there. We'll talk about that. We're not there yet. We have to get there through literally hundreds of years of court <laughs> Hold on to your seats. It's about to get real judicial in here. Because what we don't, I don't, I don't think we we're very aware of, and particularly in the Christian realm, because we have so many good and clear uh, arguments biblically. Uh, and, and and simply rationally uh, for the atrocity that is abortion uh, to to go the way of the dodo, uh, but but we don't necessarily know how we've arrived here legally speaking in our country. And in the United States, we are a country of laws. We are we are governed by the Constitution, um, and it's in it's important to actually know how we've gotten here so we can actually understand how we unwind. Uh, this incredibly uh, deadly clock that we've set here with abortion. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just be honest. It's not morality, philosophy, biology, um, uh, logic. It, it's not any of these things that lend support to abortion. Is really just the feelings of evil people that are is what's keeping abortion alive. 
Um, yeah, it's selfishness. It's, it's at the end of the day, it's selfishness. Yeah. Abortion has become something nothing more than than um, the necessity of of convenience. Yep. Um, and so something's inconvenient, so we get rid of it. Um, and even if that means we're going to murder, you know, a million odd babies a year, and that that's disgusting. That's literally, the long and short of of our culture, and it is horrific. Um, you know, it's it's. I just don't think it's ever good when I have to like look at Europe and say, man, what if we just had like Germany? you know, or France's abortion laws. Cause they're very, they're much, much more stringent than our American abortion laws. Uh, it's really sad. Yeah. But I, I guess every unvaccinated baby gets put into a camp or something. like that. <laughs> no, you know, we're not talking about COVID here, Jesse. You have to let it go. Sorry. All right. Let it go. Everything is COVID. <laughs> Just because governor Murphy is about to come down with both fists, like a tyrannical dictator, He's going to be like the claw in Inspector Gadget. Just a, just a raspy voice and big middle. I'll get you, Gadget. Oh, Next wow. time. A big claw. I assume the black that, cat. Yeah, I forgot about him. metal gauntlet kind of thing. He's going to come down with the hands of tyrannical dictatorship. And he's going to say, everybody gets vaxxed or you die in your home without food because you can't leave. <laughs> Yeah, we are uh, rapidly approaching uh, New York, which is rapidly approaching uh, Insaneville. Yes, uh, I think I think that train already landed in Insaneville. It's gone right past Insaneville to Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, this is not a COVID episode. This is about the Dobbs case and walking through, you know, uh, what is it? What is it? What year is it? 2021. Yeah. About, about 170 years of uh, of legal history that we have to unpack here. So nice we better, we better get started. There. That was great math. We better brother. get started at some point. That degree, that math degree is really paying dividends. I see what you did there. You did a math turn in the, in the <laughs> that paying. That was pretty good. Dividends. Um, I don't know why you're laughing. I do have a math degree. I know you do. It's just it's paying dividends right now. <laughs> just okay. That it's it paying dividends simple, somewhere. It was just simple subtraction. Anyway, what we're going to be looking at tonight is the idea of substantive due process. And substantive. You cannot say substantive this I can, entire time. I can please. say substantive. Please don't. It's substantive. Substantive due process and the right to privacy. Starting in 1856 with Dred Scott. I want to murder you sometimes. <laughs> in love. I want to murder you with love. With words matter. We did a whole podcast. Knife. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, we're going to start. Wait, what was that? <laughs> Nothing. We're going to start back with the uh, Dred Scott case in 1856, oversaw by overseen, overseen, overseen. by Justice Roger Tawney. This is getting um, better. Do you know what the? Do you have any idea what the uh, Dred Scott case was about? Um, I know it was about slavery. And yes. I know it was Good. bad. And then you end. You are correct on both counts. Nice. Uh, so what we're going to work through is these cases. We only have one, two, three, four, five cases till we get to Dobbs case. So although it is going to cover 170 years, roughly, it's 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 all not not every court case since then because well, who has the time, boy? <laughs> but but in uh, in the in, government in, barely has time to see them all. No, the government doesn't have any time to even think about what their rulings are. The the, substan- the substantive due process. They can't even think about human liberty anymore. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, the Bill of Rights. I didn't even think about the Bill of Rights. I didn't even consider the Bill of Rights. It's All about right. my pay grade. Um, substantive due process comes into play during the Dred Scott case. Uh, so what was hap- what happened uh, is Dred Scott and his wife, uh, well, Dred Scott particularly, had lived for 10 years in um, 
free regions and states. He had lived for ten years as a slave in those free regions. These were regions that do not that do not allow slavery. Uh, so their laws do not allow slavery, and it was connected to you know it, the Missouri Compromise. As we expanded state states, we had we had uh, free states and slave states. As we expanded the country into more states and added more states into the Union, and Dred Scott uh, had been uh, purchased by a doctor who traveled, and he spent a lot of time in free uh, states, living in free states. So it was about ten years time that he had lived in these states um, after his. Uh, his owner had passed away and the owner's wife was um, now, now had control of Dred Scott and his family uh, and was basically was renting them out to make money off of them that way. Boy, that sounds bad. Their wages. Well, it's slavery. I don't, you can't make slavery sound good. There's, there's no way to make this, this idea of, of, of chattel slavery. You can't, it's not, it's just evil. You know what? Fair enough. I can see that point. So since it's just evil, we're just going to acknowledge it as evil. That's what she was doing. It was disgusting, um, and and at th- at some point he had he had some friends. This is again in free states that were helping him, telling him that, that he should you know sue for his freedom. And so this case eventually gets appealed to the Supreme Court. And what it did is basically uh, it basically reneged the Missouri Compromise, and it said they said that slaves that had no rights under the Constitution. It became more of a property law issue. And the reason they were they were saying this essentially was because not it was it became a burden no longer of due process, but rather there needed to be a substantial due process. Um, due process is very simple. Um, there's laws, and as you are in the midst of a legal battle, it is done by the book, so to speak, by the laws. And once that process is completed, you've had due process. So we think about an, a uh, a trial. A trial, there is a uh, there's the accused and the plaintiff. There is then evidence. There is a jury. There is a judge. There are procedures. And once all that plays out, that is your due process. And then the jury returns a verdict. The judge reads the verdict, either affirming and sentencing. Um, and that that is the due process. But what the Supreme Court ruled was that there was not and a... And praise God for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is... A good and right <laughs> process. Right. It is It is absolutely a good and right process. Um, but what the Supreme Court actually ended up finding is that there was not a substantial due process in this case. That is that there needed to be... It, it wasn't just a... Again, so every, every time we talk here, we're going to be adding layers of... I mean, we could call it nuance, but it's it's just more layers of subjectivity to to the to what should be very clear legal precedents. So instead of due process, we now need to have a substantial due process so that the rights of um in this case it would have been the rights of the slavers was were established in a not just in a due process manner, i.e. this man had lived for 10 years in a free state in in free states. Um he can't be a slave in a free state. He is now free, right? That would be the clear due process. Instead, there would need, be, need to be a substantial due process, uh, seeing these people more as property, a uh, substantial due process for the actual owner. And because we added this now nuanced and subjective phrase of substantial, right, or substantive due process, oh, yes. <laughs> it now becomes a subjective <clears throat> application of the law. That's not how the law should work. <laughs> no, and also... 
Boy, I think the Bible's got a couple of verses to say about that. Also, really sorry, Dred Scott. It makes clear sense that you've lived for 10 years in a free state where you shouldn't have slaves, and somehow you've been a slave in those states. We're really sorry about that. You're free now. That's uh, Oh, but sorry. Here's some actual literal reparations for that. <laughs> yeah, like you, you're now owed these back wages, um, and you're now free. Uh, that would be due process. Instead, what we have now for you is uh, a lack of substantial due process to your owners. So, sorry. Shoulder shrug. Um, and that was that was garbage. Thankfully, that we have undone that. Um, in fact, one of the it, it's it was one of the contributors this uh, whole idea uh, of the Dred Scott case to pushing towards the Civil War um, and moving us away from slavery. So it 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 did have long term benefit, but um, but ultimately the ruling was incredibly evil and wrong. Um, so that that gives us this gives us this first glimpse into a substantial or substantive due process. I just want to make sure I'm saying it right. I don't want to mess it up. Um, so, so we move from, we're jumping a huge swath of time here. So get ready, jump into the way, way back machine as we move forward. In Literally time. no history happened between these two years. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> uh, but for our, for our purposes, we need to continue to, uh, to continue to get and move our way to the, the more commonly known cases like Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood to get to the Dobbs case, we need to build off of this idea of of substantive due process. Substantive, whatever. And in 1965, we we bump into the case of Griswold v. Connecticut. Now, Griswold v. Connecticut. Again, what what is what I, the, I'm walking through these cases, and I'm, what I'm not trying to do is get our opinions on how the case the case necessarily was ruled. The point is the the terms and the way they're ruling on the cases. That right, is yes. now developing into a legal, um, a, a legal precedent, right? To build up to where we're at today. Yeah, this is all setting the framework. This is not, you know, right? We're gonna we're, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about uh, how horrible abortion is at the end. We've already done abortion episodes. We 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 are very clear about this. <laughs> There's no, <laughs> there is no black or white. There is no um, gray here. There's only black and white. Abortion. You you. I'll say it now, but I'll say it again later. You cannot be a Christian. And pro-choice. It's not, it is not possible. It is, it is, no, I'm sorry, it is possible, but you are living double-minded. You are living uh, in a way that is completely inconsistent with God and his standards. Agreed. I'll, I'll say it that way. All right. So we're going from 1856 to the Dred Scott case where we see this beginning of substantial due process. And we'll move to 1965, Griswold v. Connecticut. Now, the court case here is particularly simply about um, married couples' access to contraceptives. We think of this... Now in 2021, what does that have to do with Dred Scott, Justin? Correctly, correct. We, we think of this now in 2021 as a as a as a simple non conversation. Uh, married couples have access to contraceptives, but what they were doing here is expanding married couples' access, the ease of access to contraceptives. Now you can see why in a state's in a state case, state by state, they could they might want different laws for why and how you would use contraceptives, particularly since the government has a vested interest in the growth of the population. You well, I mean, they, they should have. A, well, yes, okay. Uh, but that, that's, they do, whether they have an interest in it being low or high, you could see why a state may have different rules on the books. Yes, fair enough. But, so all of these come down to different, you know, obviously we're a nation of states and different states have different laws. So here in Griswold v. Connecticut, um, we have the the not just not just the wording of there needed to be a, not in Dred Scott where there, there needs to be a substantial due process. Now we have them straight using it. Right. So now they've established a precedent of the term substantive due process. 
in this opinion in this opinion right and what they did is expanded this concept right that that's starting to come out and that is the right to privacy and they point largely to the 14th amendment but what they're talking about the right to, pri- right to privacy is not something that needs to be have legal parlance there's no right to privacy in the constitution it's it's not explicit anywhere in the constitution yeah those those words that that's not in there and as a nation of laws words do matter um and and what we're pulling on here from Griswold v. Connecticut is that they expand this idea of a right to pri- privacy, right, using the emanations and penumbras, right? These magical good, good band name. The magical fairies that are in between the words and the articles of the constitutions. You gotta read between They're the not lines, there, man. but you can feel them. <laughs> you can you can feel it's these. Constitution plus, man. The constitution, as you put it in front of you, it emanates. Right, all all up on you. This idea of the right to privacy. Gosh dang, the sixties. Now, what we do have in the is is um, our, we have rights to illegal searches and seizures. Um, so so we do have access to to our own personal things, but the idea of a right to privacy is not something the Constitution was concerned uh, with doing, unless you consider the fact that the right to, the Constitution was was obviously concerned with doing it in that it limited the government. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> so from a general perspective, yes. From an explicit perspective, not at all. It's not explicit at all. Um, so we see this expansion, this first, this establishment of using the words, the term substantive due process, and the expansion of this idea of the right to privacy that comes from emanations and penumbras inside of the Constitution. And that's in Griswold v. Connecticut, 1965. Then we take a short hop in the, in the way back. A little itty-bitty one. Right, we jump... We jump six years ahead to 1971, and we see we have the case Eisenstadt v. Baird. Now, here is interesting because what we were just talking about is the expanded expanded right access to for married couples to contraceptives. Now we're dealing with can unmarried couples get contraceptives? Because why would an unmarried couple need a contraceptive? <laughs> right? Because you know what you do, you don't need to have an abortion if you don't have any sex. In fact, I only know of one <laughs> one instance where someone was pregnant. And a virgin. John the Baptist? Mary. Oh. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mary, did you? <laughs> okay, it's Christmas time and everything, man. Come on. Um, and, and so, again, we're not, con- <laughs> we're not concerned with, with our opinions on how this case was ruled. All right? But this is what the case is about. And this case further expands right to privacy beyond simply the words you would think of as right to privacy, but it expands it into uh, an even more subjective category of the right to privacy. And basically what we're saying is no one has a right to know anything about you. You could just get whatever you you want. You just get whatever you want. Nothing matters. You just have it. Um, That's the idea that's being expanded upon here. So now we have laid down for us right the actual like clause if you will of substantive due process and you could you know clause like CLAUSE is what i meant but you could think of CLAWS oh, and oh, the clause oh. of substantive oh, due process also that clause <laughs> or oh yeah no um and we have this idea of right to privacy becoming incredibly subjective so we have these two very subjective terms uh bringing us into 1973 so now we jump two years ahead, and we get what we get a very famous case of Roe v. Wade. Now the the right to privacy is extending beyond privacy of simply of the privacy of a unit, 
and it now extends to the death of someone else outside of the person who should have privacy. So clearly the right to privacy does not care about the privacy of the unborn because we're saying we can just kill it. Right. Yeah. I also don't see that in the Constitution. No, again, no, there is no. They're nailing, they're nailing, they're hammering nails into wood that doesn't exist. Right. There is no, there's, there's, there is no such thing as substantive due process. There is no such thing as a right to privacy. And the Constitution was not concerned in any way with the idea of abortion. Right. Except that they did, you know, have a, a strong belief that you shouldn't kill. Right, thou shalt not murder. That was a pretty strong belief. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Seems um, legit. <laughs> um, Facts. The, the important thing to note here is before Roe v. Wade, it wasn't like there was no abortion. Rather, state laws, different states had different laws. You lived in different states, different states with different different constituents, and so different states had different laws about what abortion was and wasn't and what it could and could not happen. Um, so it was very clearly a state's rights issue, which is why some people think that when you get rid of Roe v. Wade or you get rid of Planned Parenthood versus Casey, if you were to repeal those decisions, you would somehow get the end of abortion. That's not true. Simply, you would have different states with different abortion laws and abortive standards. That's how. That's why we are the United States yes. of America. Every state is different. We are united under the Constitution, and the Constitution supersedes every state law. So rolling back Roe v. Wade, depending on how the Supreme Court interprets it. Apparently, <laughs> I mean, can yes. you see? Can you see if the, it emanates from them and from the pages, from the penum, penumbras, <laughs> the penumbra? Oh man, the penumbra all over the place. So we don't uh, know what to do. Get, get a towel. Get a towel. There's a penumbra. <laughs> a penumbra sounds like some type of like ghastly creature that would come for you in your sleep. Like, like you know what that sound is, Highness. Those are the shrieking, shrieking penumbras. penumbras. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> anyway, all right. But I mean, can you see? Like, so, so this is all progressiveness. This is all icky progressiveness. And I mean, can you see? Like how? Like, so when we talk about it, it's interesting because conservatives generally want to be conservative about how we interpret these founding documents, similar to how a Christian would want to be uh, concerned about how we interpret Scripture. Right? We're we're looking to a standard of how we interpret. Uh, old documents that still apply to us today. And so uh, there seems to be this one view um, where you can read between the lines. I believe the late Ruth Ruth Justice Judy, uh, Ruth (laughs) Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, believed that we should we should interpret the Constitution as a quote as a living document as something that changed that should be molded and changed with the whims of society. But that's not how the that's certainly not how the authors and framers of the Constitution uh, thought that it should be interpreted, and that's not how we should interpret um, the Scriptures either. And so I, I just want to note that as we see this slope of progressiveness coming in, this ickiness regarding subjectivity and interpreting the Constitution, the same thing is happening with the Scriptures itself during this time, too. So, I mean, our 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 judicial and legal system is losing its credibility at the same time that the Church is in many aspects. Yeah, we talked about that last week. We, we kind of spoke towards that with the idea of side A, side, a, side B Christianity side and, the homos- a, side B, Christianity. and the, the homosexual movement creeping into the church and how it's trying Asian to use, use subjective emotions and feelings. This is where I just ignore you. Subjective emotions and feelings uh, to... You'll kill my <laughs> That's not how I say Prepare it. Prepare to die. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, 
this subjective standard that we use to bring to the scriptures. We let our emotions and our feelings dictate what the scripture says. I feel this way, therefore I am this way, therefore I will make the scriptures bend to what I feel. And that's yeah. the same idea that we're doing with the law here. We're, we're, we're having people uh, sit. Uh, by the way, I forget which president it was. <laughs> when? There was a president that basically said we're gonna, we, once the, the, they would legislate this into law and he would sign it. Well, what if the president, I believe he was said, it was said to him, what if the Supreme Court overrules it? He said, who cares? <laughs> basically said, who cares if the Supreme Court overrules it? Because our, our nation was set up, right, so that, that the legislature made laws and that the, <laughs> the, the, the legislature made the laws, the executive executed the laws. The Supreme Court was there to simply advise what the Constitution was actually meant to say as we made laws if they fit into the context of the Constitution. But largely, they were never supposed to be what they are today, which is basically the the arbiters of all all that is right and wrong, legally speaking. Yeah. They are they are the ones that actually say, because they don't... It's supposed to be the weakest branch. Right. It's supposed to be the weakest branch because it's unelected. It has no, con- right. it has no connection the, to the people. To the people, yeah. So, so you have to understand, what, what we do today is nothing like the way it was intended to be in the Constitution. The, the reality the reality is is that our politicians don't want to have to say they voted for or against something and so they pass the buck to the to the unelected the unelected justices in the Supreme Court who then decide things that's what happens in our country because they're not elected they don't have to worry about getting votes they have to worry about a constituency that says hey I can't believe you made that into law we no longer want you as our representative we no longer want you as our senator that's what happens in our country. Anyway, we've gotten away. We but alas, <laughs> and ironic. I mean, you know, on that point, as far as a historical perspective, I mean, uh, the judges were regularly unseated for far less things. I mean, you know, the, the Constitution. Yes. And the Constitution, they didn't want to be judges. It wasn't like they weren't like, oh yeah, like, oh, Supreme great, Court I gotta justice. go and be my judge now. They were like, gosh darn it, I have to leave, leave my the farm. Law, I have to leave my law practice to go be a public servant on the Supreme Court. Yeah. <laughs> they were constantly saying, you know what, I'm I'm done. I retire. <laughs> I retire. Yeah, and I mean it, it's it's just it's just funny how the moral standards have shifted. I mean, the majority of people who are congressmen and, you know, in in elected positions would would be absolutely thrown out from some of this stuff. I mean, come on. I mean, who who is it? The guy from California sleeping with literally literally adultering with a child. You mean spy. you mean Eric Swalwell? Yeah, with Fang Fang. Like what the heck, bro? Like I mean you shouldn't be oh, you mean you mean the guy on the, on the intelli- House Intelligence Committee? <laughs> intelligence Committee. Uh, okay. Let's I mean move. like look, we, we but are again, so far away from our topic right now. Yeah, yeah. So circling back to the mildly off topic topic is like people are just like, oh well it's a life appointment, it's a life appointment. It's like no it's a life impo- it's a life appointment as long as you uh are wise and moral according to you know scriptural standards, but that that was that was completely that was thrown out far before many of the cases we're talking about. Yeah, so we're, we've gone from 1856 Dred Scott to 1965 <laughs> Griswold v. Well, Connecticut, well. and we just discussed 1971 Eisenstadt versus Baird, and we've seen these things build upon each other, and now we're in Roe v. Wade here. One of the things uh, Roe v. Wade did besides um, extending the right to privacy, right to you can kill the baby inside of you and no one needs to be the wiser. That's just a decision between you and your doctor. Now, obviously, you and your doctor have the right to privacy, 
But what you don't have the right to privacy is to do is to be like, hey, doctor, I really don't like my husband. And your doctor be like, you know what we should do? Kill him. Kill him. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. not what the right it's not the right to privacy yeah, anymore. T- turns out if you murder someone privately, they still try to find you. Yeah, no, it's not it's not okay. So so yeah, uh, like, no, had, my right to privacy, you know, you, you can't ask me those questions. Like <laughs> you can't ask me so, if I killed him. <laughs> so we have we see that we had states' rights. Now the federal government is stepping in here in my life, my choice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We have the federal government stepping here in here in Roe v. Wade and saying, no, the right to privacy, substantive due process, <laughs> right? These things are established in the Constitution. They're not in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the federal government now says the, the law of the land, right? The federal law is abortion is allowed. Now, they made oh, some... It's, s- good. It's, not, it's not a law. No, it's well. It's a Supreme Court ruling. It's a ruling. They're saying it's in. It is constitutional. It's constitutional, which means now it's no longer a states' rights issue. It is a it's federal, a federal issue. issue. It over. It actually goes above and beyond what the states can do. And they established some weird standards. They established this idea, the standard of well. Bio. I mean, if we're if we're going to get loosey goosey, why not keep going? <laughs> right. So they exactly, exactly. This again, you'll you'll just see more and more subjectivity creeps into the legal parlance here so they established viability in roe v wade as the last trimester now obviously scientifically speaking we know that that's garbage right garbage as the scientifically French would speaking say. it's completely garbage I apologize if anybody's from france and okay just, you know just what? making fun of it i know you know what just let them have their white flags so <laughs> what we what what was what competes here is that there's compelling state interest right in in when you can have a baby and and when you should not kill a baby the, the states have an interest in this so for yep. the federal government to step in now and over and supersede the states when there is nothing in the constitution that would say this becomes very much a subjective standard now you have the subjective subjective standard of viability by the way this whole idea of trimesters really creeps in here during roe v wade as if there's a substantial difference between the first and second trimester as if between the first and the third trimester something happens that changes it from being a baby to being a baby so, <laughs> so i was like well, wait a second no, so we have this idea know. of trimesters broken up and, and it actually that. enters into the commonality of everyday talk here through roe v wade now it's not it's it's not a thing right it, it's a way maybe of measuring time but it's not a way of measuring the fact that the child actually is a baby from the moment it's conceived to the moment it is in the third trimester. right i mean it's 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 a it's a way to measure you know time and development but it's not a measure of whether or not it's a uh, innocent human being or not correct so that yeah. this this saying that you can well you know what you can't kill it in the last trimester right. is just an arbi- again subjectively <laughs> arbitrary state yeah, it's like um, you, you can't kill harry until he turns 9 right, you know and why viability but after and, he's 9 you know <laughs> excommunicado <laughs> right and why why the last trimester john wick like, reference there right what well, yes you so, picked that I, up. I i like john wick i okay. think yes <laughs> instead now keanu reeves is going to play neo again <laughs> in the new matrix he's going to be a neo neo he, he's neo apparently like he forgot they're going to make him remember i don't know it's just like why do we keep making the same movies so it's like the born identity matrix the irony is the was what are that was 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 Nooski, who were the, the brothers that made I don't know they well they were brothers when they made the Matrix originally but now they're sisters what yeah now Crazy. they're sisters so now yo the sisters... they Roe waited all over that <laughs> <laughs> talk about subjectivity yeah I'm glad you uh, picked that up 
But what we're really what what, what we're really concerned about here, Roe v. Wade, <laughs> it does establish these things. But the thing that really brought so much more um, garbage to the discussion of abortion and, and with the federal government was actually the 1992 case of Planned Parenthood v. Casey. This was the one that. That we actually, when we point to, we want to overturn Roe v. Wade. And what we really need to go back to go back to is is fixing Planned Parenthood versus Casey. This is the one that really, it's, gar- it's just so garbage. <laughs> Thank you, Justice Kennedy. You are a waste of space. <laughs> anyway, oh, oh boy, I'm sorry. Certainly a waste of a seat on the Supreme Court. We can at least say that <laughs> this is true. So in 1992, Planned Parenthood v. Casey uh, comes in. Who put him on there? Was it Reagan that put him on there? Yeah, he it was, was a big old mistake. Man, if only you could see the he, future. You know what? He, Reagan, what'd you do, Reagan? He would He would have made better choices. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, and the, seeing to the future is literally impossible. So. The, uh, the, the opening of the opinion actually starts with these words. Liberty finds no refuge in a jurisprudence of doubt. That Which, is a, it's a very ironic phrase considering the way that this decision actually landed. Yeah, so every decision is broken up into sections, usually with numbers, and then subsections like you'd have section 5A, section 3C. All right. And, Our government likes organization <clears throat> to, uh, you know, nth degree. Yeah, bureaucracy. And so, and so then you'd have, you literally have, would have the Supreme Court justices weigh in, like, to, to cast where they land on each point. That's, that's how these decisions often break down. And what you see when you look at this case is, it is split ten ways a Sunday. It is all over the place. You'll have three justices say that they like this part. You'll have four justices say they like, they like this part. And what you realize is that to open up with this phrase like "liberty finds no refuge in a jurisprudence of doubt," well, you're like, there's doubt all over this place. You guys couldn't agree on anything. In Someone this spilled the the coffee cup of doubt all over this book. It's 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 complete garbage. And and I, I do blame Kennedy. I, it was it was also it was like Kennedy and Connors, and there was one other one that technically wrote quote unquote the decision. But it's it's when you know Kennedy and how he's been trying to protect the <laughs> the institutional credibility of the Supreme Court for so long, you know this has got him all over it. Yeah, that's not that's not what the Supreme Court's supposed to do by the Constitution. No, that, that's not in that's not in there either. <laughs> it's really not. And what what Planned Parenthood v. Casey really talks about is undue burden. You couldn't you can't do anything that increases. No state can make a law that would increase the undue burden on the mother. And what the problem is is that has no bearing on on the actual child that we're killing. No one wants to talk about the fact that we're killing a baby. Yeah, well, that was left a long time ago. That was left before. Roe v. Wade. That's right. what I'm sure. And so what you're seeing here is now now we have crept into the subjectivity of undue burden. I mean, my gosh, what's an undue burden? I mean, anything could be an undue burden. Hangnail. Driving more than 10 miles. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's like it, the subjectivity that has just grown. It's like this, this downhill snowball that's now coming to the bottom and it's just an avalanche is like a 60 ton boulder just weighing down yeah well on, i mean especially the when back you, of a baby especially when is. you try to interpret the term undue burden in 2021 clown world you know like, gosh dang and so, you mean they don't send me an uber to come and get me oh my gosh that's an I undue burden uh, i just want to kill my baby in my hat you know what i gotta stop we're just gonna stop oh, this. We're just home gonna, abortions we're stopping it i don't even want to go there it's just well, awful. they exist They're this is where this is where we got this is how we got here we basically increased subjectivity, getting away from objectivity of the law. These these words, righteousness. We right, oh, well, righteousness. We, we have, that, yes. that was a long time. Um, so so in all of this, we have an increasing subjectivity, and layer upon layer, we find ourselves now with what is essentially uh, the governance of nearly zero inhibiting factor 
for abortion anywhere in the country. Anywhere, at any time, and for any reason. This, this is correct. Um, now, what happened was Mississippi passed a law that actually goes goes very clearly and decisively uh, at the standards of undue burden, of viability. Um, and, and basically, in this law that Mississippi passed, they establish a ban on abortions past 15 weeks. There can be zero abortions past 15 weeks. Now, that is still, obviously, and every Christian should say, far too long. There's the, the yeah, ban- it's about 15 weeks too long. Yeah, the abortions, the abortions uh, should be um, banned, not the weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right, exactly. So, but but in doing this, they made such clear law, and they basically uh, made it so that there's there's essentially nowhere to get an abortion except for one place. You can get an abortion at, at this one place, but you can't get an abortion past 15 weeks. That's pretty much how it works in Mississippi. Now, what's great is it makes it it makes abortion something that actually is going to require a lot of someone, as it should. It, we we should not. It, it, <laughs> If you're going to kill someone, it <laughs> really should we shouldn't we shouldn't make it easy for you. Oh my gosh! Um, and in doing this, we now have a case before the Supreme Court that's going to force them to address all the nuanced subjectivity that has crept in over the past 170 years to case law. That's that's in essence what this is what this is saying. Now, initially, uh, there was the the the. Mississippi lawyers, right, were were seeking to make it so that they didn't actually have to overturn anything or repeal anything in their decision, right? They were just saying, look, we've made this standard in our law. All you have to do is establish 15 weeks as the now hard and fast line, uh, federally speaking, and nothing nothing has to change from anywhere else. You've just changed a, the viability and made it a clear standard that, that separates out undue burden, and, and we're good to go. What the... <laughs> But those that have brought the case, right, those that are on the side against Mississippi, those that are on the side of the abortion, right, are actually forced the hand and said, no, you will have to address Roe v. Wade. This has to, you have to either codify it, you have to establish it, you have to reaffirm it, you have to make sure everything is clear about this, which is basically to make everything unclear, make everything subjective. And then basically the Mississippi lawyer is like, okay, fine, you want to do that? Let's do that. You know what? You have to decide. <laughs> you have to decide whether this this is a st- the states have the rights to make their own abortion laws, and Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey were garbage, or that's or when you the, have to strike down our law. That's when the sunglasses lower on top of their face, and the, and the, uh, and the shotgun hits, the, hits up on their shoulder. Yeah, I mean, the, I added and that. that fake cigarette falls down, and yeah. it's like the Thug, no, life, the thug life movie. It's not really music. I mean, in, in many cases, it could be a cigarette. It's in the well, whatever. It's I, I don't like to yeah, whatever in the Thug Life. You know what? The thug you, know, life. you know, you know. The hat comes down, yeah. and, and the, the and like the rap. Music You've seen plays. the reformed Thug Life Come things. On. I mean, they don't have cigarettes in them, probably, but whatever. So anyway. There's basically three. There's basically three possible outcomes from from the Dobbs case that's before the Supreme Court, and we won't know any of them until June of 2022. So that's fine. Much praying to be had. Lots of time to pray. Lots of time to pray to move the hearts of those Supreme and, Court justices uh, to undo some unrighteousness that they've done. Vocalization. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's more vocal. than praying. Anyway, let's, yes. let's keep going. Um, so what could happen? And, and this is possible. They could overturn Roe v. Wade. Which basically establishes the fact that abortion abortion laws are states' issues. That's all that would happen, right? Um, and and in doing this, the Supreme Court doesn't. Does the Supreme Court actually technically have the power to make it illegal in all fifty states? 
I don't think it actually does, does it? Uh, again, if Unlo- they did unless, that, unless they if, unless if they did that, they'd be doing the same thing. They would essentially be doing the same thing in reverse. The right. Supreme Court would say the Constitution. It would says, be the legislature that would. It would be the legislature that would do that. Correct. This is all about enumerated powers. The Constitution does not enumerate this power. Therefore, it is not a federal power. It is a state, state power. power. Yeah. In fact, and inside of each state, usually what you see is that the state, if it's, the state says they don't have the power, it gets enumerated to even more and more hyper local levels. That's right. how laws tend to work in each state. So that's that's essentially. Uh, it's essentially what should happen. Now, what, if the, again, if this happened, you wouldn't see abortion go away. You would see each state establish its own abortion guidelines and laws, right? Some states would very well have would have standards that are so that that would be so stringent that would effectively almost nullify abortion. There would be so it, the standards would be very difficult. There'd be a very high, high bar to pass, and you'd still have California, New York, New Jersey. You still have states like this where you could, you know give birth to your baby and decide what to do with it. Like, we'd still have these laws. We'd still have these, these places. They would still exist. Um, so so there's that. That would That's what's one possible. Not Virginia right? anymore, I guess, right? Yeah, well, I mean, maybe. Hopefully not. Um, yeah. Next, you could, see, um, you could see them overrule Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Now, if they, if they were to overrule Planned Parenthood v. Casey, what they would basically <laughs> be doing there is, is removing the viability standard. Right, and they'd have to then establish a standard. Yeah, how about the conception standard? Yeah, that'd be a great. That'd standard. be a great standard. I, 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 you know what? I'm going to write them and say, "Hey, conception standard. Anybody ever consider this?" And uh, Clarence Thomas would say, "Yes, I have considered it. I find your, I find your argumentation very clear, very compelling." <laughs> oh. Thanks, Clarence Thomas. <laughs> Woo. Um, this is the second option. This is where you adjust. <laughs> when he reads it in three years. <laughs> <laughs> oh crap! We already ruled on that one. <laughs> um, if I could turn back time. When you look at when you look at this, this is um, this is one where they would they would still be utilizing subjectivity, but they would have to reassess their standard. Which they, again, they may they may be able it's to adopt a fifteen week viability standard. Which which again, these would this would still be a again a a well not what we want. What we want is the abolition of abortion completely. This would be a incremental step towards that movement where we can continue to push back on this. Either of these issues would establish for um, the the pro-life side of the argument a, a foothold into legal case to say, look, we did this wrong here. We just keep pushing. We just keep pushing. We have already we would this would be admitting these were bad decisions. Um, and we can continue to push back against that these subjective arguments to get to the objective source of righteousness. That's the goal. Um, and then finally, the third option is they could actually simply strike down the Mississippi law. Um, that seems actually like the least likely course of action um, is, to, is to say that this, the Mississippi law is unconstitutional um, because both sides want some sort of ruling on – Planned Parenthood v. Casey yeah, and Roe v. Wade. All those other things. Right. So, so in doing that, uh, in these three options, um, I mean, I, I could tell you that most probable, it will probably be some sort of, we'll basically end up with some sort of, again, subjective, milly-mouth, wishy-washy. Kennedy will assert himself and try to, like, get some sort of coalition, you know, uh, a vote with with six justices to to rework viability or undo burden or something, and it'll be it'll be garbage. It'll just be more garbage. That's probably what could happen. But there is a chance. Uh, look, prayer is real. I think we should be praying for the Supreme Court justices, and we should we should seek every and all possible instance that will save uh, a baby's life. Um, so that's just that's clear. What we want to avoid 
is agreed. More, I was going to say agreed, but I was coughing as well. I know. What we wanted to avoid is this is Robert's institutional legitimacy claims. We want to avoid that. We want to pray against that. Uh, it doesn't. His concern with the Supreme Court's legitimacy is not the point. The point is to save babies' lives. Um, and and they just keep they just they tend to just we, what we see is in each one of these successive, successive cases they're just looking at this whole idea of what is politically expedient and it's it's just so garbage they don't it's it's really bad um, so so what one of the things that really comes under fire here uh, is the idea of precedent or stare decisis uh, that that is that the matter is settled that there's previous case law. But what we've seen time and time again is that we've undone previous case yeah. case law, right? I mean, even you look at Brown versus the Constitution has essentially been thrown out already, right? But even even Supreme Court justices have gone back and undone bad rulings. This is not uncommon. This is actually relatively common. When 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 a Supreme Court made a bad ruling, like the Dred Scott ruling, we undid it, right? When, yeah. when we had Brown versus Brown versus Board of Ed, we had even the Obergefell decision for for gay marriage is actually a case of undoing precedent. <laughs> so it's ironic that they've made that a federal issue, but the precedent was already said that it was a state issue. Can we redo that interesting? precedent? <laughs> anyway. Um, so, so anyway, yeah. what, I, what I mean is this, this idea of stare decisis is not effective. It's not an effective argument and, and they need, they need to fix, they need to fix the bad, the bad subjective garbage they've done. And yeah. we need to pray firmly that they would undo that. Yeah. We, we need to stop. We need to stop like as justice Kennedy would like, we need to stop protecting the, what is it? The, Institution, the uh, institutional credibility, institutional credibility of the Supreme Court, and just throw that out. That's trash or, or legitimacy. What, what we need, what we need to uphold, is righteousness. Amen. Uh, and and fortunately, we, we live, we still live in a constitutional uh, republic, and we still have a very good constitution um, with which to guide us by. But we just don't have people that are willing to read words and you know, just like I don't know, just read them. <laughs> right, and this is. This is why we wanted to, <laughs> read with any sort of understanding. <laughs> we wanted to walk through this with you, in essence, so that we can point to the fact that we why subjectivity is just such garbage. Why there is an objective source, you must run to it. Um, because this is this is where we've we've gotten to this abortion on demand culture through subjective garbage, humanistic yeah. subjective garbage, and it's it's evil. Um, and, and we need to pray against it. We need to be praying for the Supreme Court justices, and we need to pray that this case would indeed begin to uh, cut the binds of, of abortion on demand and, and, and allow some, some of these poor babies to live. Yeah. Um, that, that's what we, we need to pray for. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's again important to, re- it's important to reiterate this, is that there is literally no moral, philosophical, logical biological, any sort of credibility to abortion in any of those categories of things. You know, scientific means, the more science we get, the more we know that that's a human being from the moment of conception. Yep. We've known it for a long time. I don't know why. So they stopped really using science. They stopped really using that as an argument. Right. You know, morally, philosophically, logically, all of this is just absolutely, it's it's insanity I mean, to in, have in, in a pro-abortion body. stance. It literally is only based on the subjective feelings of my body, my choice, that this it makes any sense at all. And, sim- and to be quite honest, my body, my choice doesn't make any sense at all. I don't care if you cut off your hand. That's fine. This isn't your body. And, and all of these different categories of thought, of reality, say that it's not your body. 
This is true. So um, just stop. <laughs> Go home. I feel like every watch uh, Netflix or YouTube or something, and just stop. You know, I don't know, promiscuating all over the place. I I, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like every biological. I'm sorry. I'm getting. I'm getting okay. upset. Would you just shut your mouth? Gee, Willikers. I feel like everybody. <laughs> just gonna. You don't want to tell people to go in Netflix and chill. That's how they have abortions. Apparently, that's like a thing with the kids. I, I didn't say Netflix bad. and chill. I you almost Netflix did. You don't go home watch and watch. <laughs> you almost did it. It's not a, not a thing. <clears throat> I don't know. Learn how to make chili or something. It's, it's like a far better alternative. Yeah, learn something fancy that takes a lot of time. Mm, c- cooking the perfect steak. Woodworking. Woodworking. Yeah, build a cabinets or something. Oh, wood's very expensive. Learn crowd molding. Uh, really you know difficult. what's a great hobby? Like yo-yoing. They're okay. cheap. Okay. You can do so much with it. You can use it as a weapon if you need to. I feel like every biological textbook for grade school students, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe not today. <laughs> I don't know what they're <laughs> teaching kids today. But but it used to contain something called the life cycle. And in the life cycle, it started <laughs> with that small, undeveloped life form. And it when walked it all the way through to adulthood and then death. That was the life cycle. If you stop that process anywhere in there, you've broken the life broken cycle. The life cycle. <laughs> and yet we ignore that. And like, when you break the like, life cycle, you've initiated death. A death so, cycle. So it's like it's like we we know this. this is obviously logically consistent. We just don't want to because it's inconvenient, right? We we insert our subjectivity. Well, it's not good for me right now. Well, you know what? Pull your pants up and stop messing around, and you yeah. won't have these Figure problems. Figure it out. I mean, yeah. gee whiz. Besides the fact that there's like one baby for all, for 20 people that want to adopt a baby, it's because we've killed them. We've just killed them all. They're all dead. They're all and, dead. That's literally that's the reason. Like, all right. All right. This prompted, uh, there were some questions about adoption. Um, I believe. Now I'm just mad. Gosh dang it. Uh, Amy, Amy Coney Barrett asked some questions uh, to the prosecution about adoption, uh, specifically speaking towards the undue burden, that there's an undue burden standard. Why? But her, her point was uh, any, there, are, there are safe haven laws in every state. You can relinquish your parental rights to a child at any time, um, at in any state, and and if that's the case, why do we have to kill the the child? Why are we killing the child? You know what? That's a fair question. It was a fair question. This prop, but but what's interesting is this prompted uh, Elizabeth Spires, who actually is a um, a Democrat. Get, get, before you before you do this, can I just say that's a fantastic question, and it kind of shocks me that that she would even bring that up in this question in this question because that does go back to things like Roe v. Wade. It does go back like it does peel it back those like that many layers. Right. Well, she's attacking the undue burden. She's attacking yeah. that 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 standard of undue burden. You're saying it's undue burden on the mother, but wait, no. It's not undue burden. She can anybody can have a baby and give that baby up. They do right. not need to raise that child. We literally have laws set up for it. And it's a fair it's totally a fair point. This prompted Elizabeth Elizabeth Spires, who is a uh, basically a, a Democratic raging um, liberal. No, no, no. <laughs> she's a de- she's a Democratic operative. She uh, she ran, I believe, electronic campaigns. She's done uh, internet work for them for a while. The, the DNC, uh, which is fine, whatever. I don't even care. It's not the point. But her op ed in the New York Times was entitled "I Was Adopted." I know the trauma it can cause, uh, and it's like. What? <laughs> so she has so many great quotes in this article. Um, there's just so, so you know, many great quotes. It was funny. Initially, you're like, you know what? Okay, all right, fine. I'm willing to listen to this. Let's see what kind of trauma. I mean, we hear horror stories, you know, of adoption and of foster and all that stuff. So, okay, I'm willing to listen. Let's, right. let's see what Elizabeth Spears' story is. What you find out, though, is that Elizabeth Spears had a, had a wonderful, wonderful. Ad- <laughs> absolutely wonderful adoption. She had two 
very loving parents that were so glad to adopt her. Um, it's it's um, it's it was wonderful. So good is it that she can just write about it now. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, for the New York Times. My goodness. Um, here's here's a quote. She said, "Adoption is not always an unalloyed good. It is a complicated choice in a situation that." Has no right <laughs> or wrong answer. I think. Let me just challenge that. I'm pretty sure there is. <laughs> I, I just here's what I would like to ask her. So let's just say you're dead. You think that was the wrong answer? <laughs> yeah, was it wrong? Let's right just answer? say one of those choices <laughs> is murdering someone. Is no. that? <laughs> but no, it's not even that. It's literally murdering her. Murder her. Like someone not, like her. Let's say you weren't here to write this because you were. dead. Dead. Do you think that was the wrong answer? I think that was the wrong answer. <laughs> I feel like this situation has a right answer. Oh my gosh! Absurdity. But it's, there's, there's literally no self awareness in this article. <laughs> the definition of self awareness has completely escaped. <laughs> She's had now her birth mother oh, Maria. Man. She she found out as she was older that she uh, that you know she was adopted. Uh, that well she found that's not true. She found out she was adopted, but she, she had actually made contact with her birth mother, um, whose name was Maria. Now. Both Maria and and Elizabeth Spire's adoptive parents are both thankful to God that they did not kill her. No way! I know it's the crazy. Plot it's so crazy. And and however, Elizabeth Spires herself feels like that's garbage. This God they speak of, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so this is a quote. She said. Both like to point to me to justify their beliefs, saying that had Maria gotten an abortion, I would not exist. Now, fact check. True. True. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> it's a familiar argument. Actually, you know what? She she would have existed and then ceased to exist. Yes, yeah. been dead. Uh, she goes on. It's a familiar argument. The anti-abortion movement likes to invoke. No, likes to invoke. Nobel Prize winners who might have never material who, who might have who might never have materialized or potential adoptees who might have cured cancer if they hadn't been aborted at eight weeks. So, I mean, fact check also also true. Also I mean, true. that sounds like a great argument, actually. <laughs> like, let's just take a second here. All right, you would be dead. All right. Now, <laughs> at other points. <laughs> Again, self-awareness not in this article. So bad. Uh, at other points, she says how sad her birth mother Maria is that she lost those years with her because she gave her up for adoption. Um, <laughs> you're right. Yeah, she's sad she lost those years. Uh, I think there's but, an. I have a solution. I have a solution right now. Let's end Maria's sadness at having given her daughter up for adoption. Just give me a really big pair of forceps, and I'll crush Elizabeth Spire's oh. head. And suck her body parts apart, and then Maria can just go on living life as if she had an abortion. You know, or even better yet, just regret that for the rest of her life with absolutely no closure whatsoever. Right. Or or she could give her child up for adoption and now have a relationship with her now. Right. Now that Cr- she's crazy, she's got, a, got her life together. You know, like it's like, why are you? What you know what? I, be, I bet Maria's probably having some freaking regrets right now after this article came out. Yeah. Elizabeth Spires <laughs> literally in this article is saying it would have been better that she's dead. So that her birth mother doesn't have to have suffer for, for those her up for, for those few years before they reconnected. Yes, that's correct. Of course, she has regrets. Of course, she does. That, that's the motherly thing. It's a big decision, whatever. But you know what? Uh, temporary regrets is better than you know killing someone. Like uh, like every time, every time. The fact that they even have a relationship, I think, is miraculous. Like that's a big thing. I think. I mean, it feels big to me. 
Here's a, another quote from. Wait, 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 can I read it? Can I use my announcer voice? I was going to use the last one, but you can. Use... Oh, oh, I can do that. That's All right, fine. do the last. You do the I, last I just one? want to read one of them. You know? Do the last one. Do it right now. Read wait, it with your announcer voice. Wait, the last quote. Did you? Why didn't you read the third one? Because I think it fits better after the last one. Actually, uh, now that I'm reading it. Okay, so okay. <laughs> the right likes to suggest that abortion is a traumatic experience for women, a last resort, a painful memory. But adoption is often just as traumatic as the right thinks abortion is, if not more so, as a woman has to relinquish not a lump of cells, but a fully formed baby she has lived with for nine months. I have a question, Miss Spires. Yes, Justin. <laughs> How did you live with the baby for nine months oh. right just a question you didn't live with the baby for nine months right because at some point it was right. just as you said quote unquote a lump, lump of, of cells, cells yeah. right so why don't you shove it lady okay your oh. your own statement is full of garbage it's full of garbage and let's just point out that uh adoption is never never ever 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 just as traumatic as abortion because it turns out abortion is always incredibly traumatic for the dead baby always yeah every time yeah yep pretty much it's like again self-awareness it's not here it's you can it's like someone that someone has the capability to actually rationally say these things and realize not realize how incredibly irrational they are. These were typed in print. An editor had to read these statements and allow this woman and say some and somehow at point at some point say, Oh yeah, that's fine. That's it. That yeah, perfectly. Sense. Yeah, that makes sense. You know what? Go ahead. Op ed perfect. Let's just put it Nobody in tell there. Maria. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> like what was he doing back there? Sitting there back there chuckling, like, oh my gosh, let's put this we gotta put this on the front page. This lady's yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Some, something I posted on Gab the other day, exactly in line with what you said. I said hashtag abortion is never safe for the baby that is suffocated, is dismembered, or whose spinal cord is severed. And one beautiful gabber said, or chemically burned with saline. I was going to say, don't forget burned it out. Yes, and I said, thank you. I forgot about that one. Um, but, what, another quote. This And this is this really, it just gets to... This Follow me a, on gab.com, <laughs> at Jesse A. Gruber. Uh, he also sometimes tweets, sometimes gabs random things at the Carpe Fide, so we're on there too. We can Ooh, find us everywhere. The Carpe Gab. If gab, you search Carpe Fide... Carpe. We're like the only Carpe Fide because we did the wrong declension. We did. Wrong declension, right right theology. theology. So, (laughs) one more quote. Um, This is, uh, this will be a a small anecdote before the quote. Uh, Spires, who has a son, said that she resents the notion, quote, that adoption is a simple solution, and I resent it on behalf of Maria, who found the choice she made traumatizing and still fills the pain 44 years later. Even when adoption works out well, as it did in my case... It is still fraught. Fraught, but not dismembered. <laughs> Are you serious, lady, right now? Yeah, she's very traumatized. She's traumatized that she gave you up for adoption and didn't raise you raise as you herself. a human being. My gosh, hammer. What she's not traumatized for about is that you're dead because she murdered you. She's right. not traumatized about that. Right, as she surely would be, as we've seen in Portland's new law. Oh, what's Portland? Portland, you say? Do do do, do tell. <laughs> Portland isn't that like a very liberal place? They're oh, very yeah, very liberal. liberal with their laws. <laughs> Literally, as we as we were sitting down about to record this, a, a reel came up on Instagram. Uh, I think it was LifeSite News. I forget. It's either LifeSite News or PragerU, one of those uh, amazing organizations. 
And uh, they were saying that uh, Portland actually extended bereavement leave. You know, bereavement leave, the thing you use when you're grieving someone who has died in your family. They've actually extended bereavement leave to women who have had an elected ab- elective abortion. <laughs> Wait, what are they What are they grieving? I thought you were supposed to shout about that. Yeah. Like celebrate it. <laughs> yes, Is that know. so that they can have a party? Because the bereavement would imply that <laughs> bereavement would imply that, that there's sorrow... At the loss of someone. Yes, and oftentimes there truly is. It's just that abortion does, or the the pro-abortion crowd doesn't actually recognize that. Although, unfortunately, the mom does after the fact. Yeah, well, it seems almost like, every I, single time, unless you're a sociopath so. like Mar- no, not Maria, uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth here. Yes, Maria, we applaud you. We are thankful yeah. that you you chose this. We Way are, to go, Mar- let's go, Maria. And also, Elizabeth's parents. Uh, I'm so sorry about Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth's adoptive parents. We're really sorry that you you loved someone uh, so much to adopt them as a child, um, and they didn't want to listen to you. Yeah, we're very sorry about that. Very very sorry about that. Um, but but we're very glad that you chose adoption, and uh, Maria, we're glad that you chose adoption, and Elizabeth, uh, we pray one day that you will realize that the reason you could write this garbage article is because you're alive today, because yep. someone said that your life was worth you it. You know, best thing that could happen to Elizabeth is she repents, and uh, ain't that just the truth for all Amen. of us. Amen. This brings me to some scriptures. I just wanted a, a couple of scriptures here. Uh, I thought maybe we could... Uh, one, Read some scriptures here. <laughs> <laughs> one, I will go back to my statement originally. You cannot be... Uh, you can be a Christian and pro-choice, but you cannot be a biblically logical Christian and be pro-choice. It is not possible. And for that, I would like to read my favorite verse. Uh, Does that mean that you're essentially living in unrepentant sin? That would mean you are you are a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. That is definitely what I would say. I mean, is there a, is there a category? Oh, man. We, we can't talk about that. We'll that, talk about... You, that's a door I don't want to open up all the way right here. Uh, oh, I would say... Because we have plans. You know what? We do have plans. We're going to hold off on that. Uh, we will hold off on the judgment of that until a later date. We will stay this. We will stay this judgment until June. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, June. no. It'll happen right. before it's that. It's going to happen much sooner. Man, we've got plans, guys. Oh, so you're going to love them. Um, Jesse, do you want to read... Where are you at? Are you in Psalm 139? I turned, to, I turned to Psalm, yeah. Why don't you read Psalm 130? These are my favorite verse, verses for for um, the the fact that, that we are literally a life as soon as uh, conception happens. Jesse, do go ahead. Alrighty, Psalm 139, verses 14 through 15 says this. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Amen. Um, one of the things that's very interesting here, and progressive Christians will try to uh, attack the wordings of the wording of woven. Uh, they believe that that is an inaccurate translation. Uh, that's that's uh, that's what the progressive Christians do. Uh, however, that is not what literally the Hebrews themselves say. They actually agree with that completely. That's what, that's what Marxists do, trying to change the <laughs> In fact, that exact word is translated specifically as knit or woven in Job 10, 11, which says, You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. Uh, it is an absolutely correct word. And what this literally means is, is that when there is nothing, God God makes something inside of the mother. That's what God does. He's should, taking. Should I, should I back up to thirteen? I mean, you can like read 13. as much Bible as you want, but I'm just saying. What I'm trying to say here is, Christian, Christian, you must understand. From the moment an egg is fertilized, God is knitting that baby together. There is no there is no difference in God's economy between what He begins 
and what ends there. That in God's economy, that is a gift of life right there. Yeah. He when we when we interrupt that process, we are usurping God's knitting of a life together. Yeah. So feel that weight and understand you cannot biblically hold the position to be pro choice. It's not your choice. Now your choice happened, <laughs> you know. Maybe a minute or two before, before that. <laughs> and you made your choice, and uh, for that moment of satisfaction, that choice was decided upon. Um, and after that, God's sovereignty goes. And when you say you are more, you are over God's sovereignty. You just watch out. That's a dangerous place to be. Yeah. When when God when God spares us from the consequences of our sin, we call that we call that grace. But when, uh, but if if but if in promiscuity a child is conceived and you choose abortion, that is not called grace. That is called murder, and that is a big problem. Amen. And the reason, and you know what, Let, just another another verse, just another another, another thought here. Slap that scripture down, it brother. Is a, it is a biblical thought. Um, the reason Elizabeth Spire's adoptive parents brought her in and have a Christian worldview, and, and the Christian church... Um, is it because they like to be right? Should be... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. Uh, biblically right. Biblically right. Uh, and honoring to God because adoption I'm I'm is adoption in this manner of of full daughtership and sonship into a family is a is a was a uniquely Christian perspective. It was not done this way. It was seen completely different. I mean, Romans would literally buy and sell people to bring them in as sons so that their son could be. Could be could be then be formed into the person they wanted them to be, right? And and it was it's to, it's totally it was totally done in strictly political and and um, status status symbols. Uh, there was there's cultures that have done this for generations, but the Christian perspective on adoption is to make someone one with your family. It was to bring you in as family. Um, And we know this Galatians four verses four through seven say this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Hmm. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We have become joint heirs with God through Christ because of adoption. We are sons in sons and daughters in the family of God. <laughs> and that is the Christian connection to adoption. Um, it, it is, it is, adoption is a beautiful thing. It is not, it is not a traumatic thing to to not kill a child and instead give that child a life. That is not traumatic. That is glorious and beautiful. It has purpose and it is honoring to God. I just want to know who started this tre- I just want to know who started this trend of people in very great and good positions pretending like they are victims of something horrible. Like like who started that? Who who, who made that uh, Jesse? It was Jesse Small. Um Marx Oh yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah, yeah. we can go way back. Let's back he way was, back back well, back up the back machine. Victimhood baby, some kind of guy, proletariat, bourgeoisie. We were all we were all in that man. 
What a terrible um, person he was. So hopefully you've gotten yourself very informed. We want to make sure you you got some you got some perspective on the history of what <laughs> what came before. <laughs> some some perspective uh, that came before. Um, and and that you have grasp. You need to grasp a very biblical uh, understanding. And we need to be praying. We need to be praying for those um, that are involved in making these types of decisions. Um, man alive, it is. It is. It is an impressive thing to be able to pray to to God and to petition the Lord, and we should be petitioning the Lord um, that that these justices would make the correct decision that honors God. Uh, that is what they they need to do. They are they are sitting in the seat of the under the under seat of judge. God is the ultimate judge. They they need to to conform themselves to His standard here. This is uh, this would be a, a great benefit. Um, to hundreds of thousands of innocent children that are are murdered and going to be murdered, uh, so we we pray we need to pray strongly that this would um, become something that we're able to continue to build upon and and to push back this this atrocious darkness uh, that is present. <coughs> amen, amen, and amen. Well, with that, uh, episode forty eight in the books, and uh, we hope you were uh, encouraged in this. We, uh, if you have any feedback, do let us know. Uh, don't they forget. always do. They so good. <laughs> they do. You, you, you can message so us and you tell us when it was wrong. And some of you incorrectly think that I actually did do a slightly Asian in Nigo Montoya. <laughs> and you're wrong. And we forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. It's okay. Um, <laughs> don't forget. Uh, we in fact, as of uh, as of the recording of this podcast, uh, you will hear this Friday. We were recording on a Wednesday, but we just dropped our Santa Claus sticker. Santa. St. Nick. St. Nick stickers up on com. Go check that out in the shop. com slash shop. Um, it's awesome. It's uh, it slaps, as the kid says. It does slap. <laughs> it does slap. If you read the sticker on Can't Carbon Fidea Shop, about that, actually. you will see it. It does slap. Um, that's super awesome. And uh, go get yourself something for Christmas. You know yeah. what else? You know what else you could do? Oh, what else could you do? You can actually sign up for our email. Ooh. We are going to do. Well, I mean, Lord, Lord willing, um, as James would call me to say, because boy, there's a lot of room for error. But Lord willing, uh, we do have an email uh, list set up now. Um, you should be able to go to our website and go to our contact or about us page rather and sign up for um, our email blast. So uh, yeah, we're going to try to do them once a week. We're going to try to include some uh, funny memes and interesting stories and uh, possibly an article or two as well as, uh, you know, some interesting Carbifide shop <clears throat> possible sales and codes. And you want yeah. you want this email. You want this email. One, you know. We try to make sure that we're informative, yet also entertaining. And who doesn't want that email? I mean, everybody would love to be informed and also entertained. Absolutely. And we're here to do that from from a Christ-honoring biblical perspective to yeah. build a church up. That's the whole idea. We're, we are... Never mind. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> yep, oh, thank Filter you. Filter caught it. Well done. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> appreciate you, as always. Amen. So check those out. Well, Except when you convict me of sin. I hate that. But then after I repent from the sin, I, I feel like... Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, because you're, you've been conformed to the image of Christ. That's good. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're, we're hoping to put additional resources uh hope to launch new products through there if we ever do that um partnerships prayer requests oh or yeah that's the other thing we can use that for is urgent prayer requests that we uh get trickled in uh that need to be shared out um the beautiful thing about emails um and i know this is weird because we're like kind of going backwards in time you know pretty soon we're going to start sending faxes again but the beautiful thing about emails is that they're not victims of algorithms um, so, you know, when we have something important to say on Instagram, you guys do a fantastic job of loving us and commenting and sharing, 
um, we see it and it's it's so appreciated because I mean, and, boy, and more we, importantly, the, the the church that needs to see it sees it and, yeah. and is encouraged. That's the really awesome thing. That's what's so cool. Yeah. Um, but being able to communicate directly to you um, without uh, the threat of being uh, I don't know silenced by the logarithms Shadow of band. Uh, evil globalist elites. <laughs> Meta. 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 So um, yeah. That's great. Definitely check those things out. We'd love that. Um, and, it, and it's awesome. We love interacting with you. So do that. And uh, as you go about doing that, we want to encourage you to seize, seize the, the faith. faith.